This is the Read Your Bible Podcast, the daily podcast designed to help you understand and apply the scriptures. Nothing will grow your relationship with Jesus Christ more than studying the Bible for yourself. I'm your host, Drew Tankersley, and for the next few moments, I want to invite you to join me as we dive into God's Word together. We'll ask God to help us see what He wants us to see so that we can be who He wants us to be. How do you respond to sin? How we respond to not just our own sin, but the transgressions of those around us, says a lot about where we are as a Christian. It also reflects on our attitude towards the Word of God, for the two of them are mutually exclusive. As one preacher put it, sin will keep you from God's Word, or God's Word will keep you from sin. It's a truth we'll see exposed today for us from Ezra chapter 9. Verses 4 through 9 of Ezra 9 read, Everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel gathered around me. Because of the unfaithfulness of the exiles, while I sat devastated until the evening offering. At the evening offering, I got up from my time of humiliation with my tunic and robe torn. Then I fell on my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God and said, My God, I am ashamed and embarrassed to lift my head toward you. My God, because our iniquities are higher than our heads and our guilt is as high as the heavens. Our guilt has been terrible from the days of our fathers until the present. Because of our iniquities, we have been handed over, along with our kings and priests, to the surrounding kings and to the sword, captivity, plundering, and open shame as it is today. But now, for a brief moment, grace has come from the Lord our God to preserve a remnant for us and give us a stake in his holy place. Even in our slavery, God has given us a little relief and light to our eyes. Though we are slaves, our God has not abandoned us in our slavery. He has extended grace to us in the presence of the Persian kings, giving us relief so that we can rebuild the house of our God and repair its ruins, to give us a wall in Jerusalem and Judah. These are the words and actions of a man overcome with grief over the people's sins. If anything underscored Ezra's devotion to God, it was his response to the transgression of the law. Now we know how deeply Ezra revered the law of God, how it pained him to see others in sin. We know how serious he was about observing it. One only needs to look to Psalm 119, and it's easy to see Ezra's attitude towards sin and the law of God. Ezra knew God's law. He determined in his heart to understand it, to obey it, and to teach it. And so he was overwhelmed with grief over Judah's sin. Ezra had been tasked with understanding and interpreting God's law, and then teaching it to the people. Then he was to appoint judges who could help preside in judgment over those who offended that law. Since he knew God's law and the people's history, he understood the grave consequences of their egregious sins. Since the beginning of the nation, God had warned these people not to intermarry with the nations around them. God had warned Israel's golden son, Solomon, not to marry wives from the nations around him. 
But Solomon had found that marrying these women had created powerful alliances that would accrue for him wealth and prosperity, both for he and his nation. But that was the whole point. From the beginning of their history, God was supposed to be their provider and their protector. It was God who saved them from the Egyptians. It was God who fed them manna from heaven. God was the one who was to protect and provide for them. But they had exchanged God as their protection, choosing instead to gain their prosperity and their security from the political alliances forged by these arranged marriages between Solomon and these foreign dignitaries' families. But God had expressly warned him that this would open the door for idolatry in the nation of Israel. And eventually, it led the country down a path of judgment. After Solomon's death, Israel and Judah split, and both plunged headlong into the idolatry that would ultimately destroy both of them. The people continued in this idolatry, despite the voice of prophet after prophet, until judgment came to them both. Following the seven years of captivity now, after the desolation of the land, the desecration of the temple, and the outright destruction of the nation. God had shown his people a reprieve from their judgment. He had granted them marvelous grace, a second chance, if you will. God had given these people an opportunity to rebuild the temple, their city, and the walls. He had placed it in the heart of these Persian kings, first Cyrus and then Artaxerxes, to assist them in rebuilding their lives. They had generously allowed this nation safe passage and even funded their rebuild. But when Ezra arrives in Jerusalem, he finds a people who have gone right back to the poison that had destroyed their nation. When Ezra surveys the scene, he sees just how far away these people are from obeying God's law. They had gone right back to the intermarriage that had incited the idolatry that eventually led to their judgment. They had spat in the face of a benevolent God who had given them this second chance, like an addict who is released from prison by the gracious pardon of a compassionate judge only to return before the sun goes down to the drugs that had incarcerated him. Israel had gone right back to the idolatrous rebellion that had destroyed their lives less than a century earlier. And so Ezra is overcome with grief over such events. He sits in sackcloth and ashes, tearing his robe as a visible sign of outright and outward grief over the people's sin. He sits in silence, considering the corruption around him. And then, after a day of silent reflection, at the evening sacrifice, Ezra opens his mouth toward God, pleading for their forgiveness. This reaction is the right and proper response to sin that can only come from an understanding of God's law. The two are polar extremes. Knowledge of the word will bring an aversion to sin, and an apathy toward the word will inevitably result in sin. Knowledge of one brings avoiding the other. This visceral reaction is the proper response to the heinous results of the people's sins. It's a sign of difficulty that is to come. But even when it is difficult, as Ezra will show us, it is always right to do what's right. 
Is this my response to the sins of others, much less to my own sin? Am I grieved? Do I sit in silence, devastated over my sin? Am I humiliated over it? Am I willing to fall on my knees with my hands spread out to God? Do I own my guilt personally? Do I accept the punishment and consequences of my sin, as Ezra did? Do I recognize God's grace amid that sin? Do I act on that grace to not further pile sins above my head? If not, then I may not have the word rooted as deeply in my heart as I think I do. For this is what causes godly grief that leads to repentance, which leads to joy. Now this type of posture and attitude towards sin is not something that is readily received in our culture, and yet it is the proper response when we understand the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. How many second chances have we squandered because of our sin? One of the things that we see about God in these verses is how gracious God is to restore our lives. This second chance, as it were, is an act of his persistent grace. And though we have failed him, though we have ignored his pleadings as Israel had the prophets, though we too have languished in the slavery to our own sin, God has moved heaven and earth to restore us to himself. His grace and his mercy have rebuilt our lives. How often then do we build houses filled with household gods, idols of our own making, on the very foundation that God has rebuilt by his abundant grace for our relationship with him. This tendency should bring us grief, as it did Ezra. After being redeemed from slavery through God's abundant grace, what idols are present in our lives that we must destroy? Does their presence grieve us? It should. So God, forgive us for presuming upon your grace Lord, we are drowning in our sin. Our transgressions are high above our heads. Forgive us, Lord God, and help us to live lives that are faithful to you. Allow us to deepen our love for the word such that we grieve over our sin and break our stubborn and foolish hearts. Lord, help us to love your word and to weep over our sin. For godly sorrow leads us to repentance. In your name, amen. Thanks for joining us today for the Read Your Bible podcast. For show notes to today's episode, please visit readyourbible.info. While you're there, you can listen to past episodes as well as access a host of additional resources designed to help you grow in your faith. It's all there for you at readyourbible.info. That's readyourbible.info. For more information about South Seminole Baptist Church, just go to southseminole.com. Join us again tomorrow as together we help you learn to read your Bible.